you had superpowers to do anything you wanted, what would you choose? Would you develop a cure for cancer, eliminate poverty? How about banning all reality shows? Jesus didn't have superpowers. He had supernatural powers. Or as the old hymn says, he had wonder-working power. And depending on how you define a miracle, the Gospels record almost 40 different miracles Jesus performed. He healed sick people, he calmed storms, he raised people from the dead. He even cast a team of demons into a group of pigs. Well, I I wonder if the pigs considered that a miracle. I I don't think so, Ken. They ended up in a lake and that was the end of them. (laughs) And Mike... These are just the miracles we have recorded in the Bible. Right. The last verse of John's gospel tells us that there were many more. It says Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. That's an incredible number of books. When we return, we're not going to look at every miracle Jesus ever performed. We're going to start with the first one, though, and that's the first one that's recorded by John. I think we're going to need one of those guys who understands wine. Yeah, I think those are a, a salmonier, Ken. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Cheers. Salute. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Jesus Changes People, a podcast that seeks to uncover the real Jesus and what it means to be a modern-day follower of Him. Each week, we dive into different parts of Jesus' life and His teachings. Some of it will be familiar, and some of it will be, well, strange. Our goal is to help you to know Jesus better and to become more like Him. My name is Ken Hensley, and I serve as the senior pastor at Mountain View Christian Church in Denver, Colorado. I'm joined today by our online campus pastor and co-host of this podcast, Mike Roncalia. Hey, Ken. It's great to be here today. Mike, great to see you. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was the most unique person who ever lived. Mike, there never has been or ever will be anyone like Jesus. That's so true. And it's something that's been affirmed by his followers from the very beginning. Indeed, it has been. During my morning prayers, I recite the Apostles' Creed. Part of it goes like this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus was God in the flesh, the human face of God. He was fully human and fully divine. In today's episode of Jesus Changes People, we'll see both sides of Jesus, the human and the divine, as we explore together the meaning of his first miracle. I really love donuts. When we first moved to Denver, I had to pass a grocery store on my way to work. It became really easy to swing by and leave with two chocolate donuts. Another stop at Starbucks, and I had my second breakfast of the morning. Not all habits are healthy habits. Did you know that there are many great resources to help you develop healthy spiritual habits? Developing the habit of regularly reading your Bible is one of them. Here at Jesus Changes People, we recommend downloading the YouVersion Bible app. It's free and has been installed over 500 million times. That's right. 500 million times. 
You can easily find passages in the Bible and choose from different translations. It's available for both iPhones and Android. You can go to uversion.com to get started. That's Y-O-U-Version.com. Ken, you've been a pastor for now over 30 years. How many weddings do you think you've performed? Well, Mike, hundreds probably, but I actually don't know the exact number. You didn't keep a list? Well, no, I didn't, but, but I have wondered about my track record. Your track record, what no, do you mean? You know, my track record. How, how many of them actually stayed married? I bet I'd be surprised, though, how some of them turned out. You, you probably would be, but it, it wouldn't be entirely your fault. Well, thank you. That's, that's mighty nice of you. <laughs> no problem. I, I imagine most wedding ceremonies follow a basic structure, rings, vows, kissing the bride. Assuming the bride showed up. Uh, thank God mine did. Yeah, mine did too. <laughs> After doing so many weddings, what is one of the things that you've learned about weddings? Well, Mike, that's easy. Something always goes wrong at a wedding. That even happened in the time of Jesus, didn't it? In fact, it did. The site of the first miracle that Jesus performs will be at a wedding. Well, what went wrong? Was it, was it getting the bride to show up? <laughs> it was even worse. The, the wedding reception had run out of wine. Oh, man, that's a problem. That is a, and that was a big deal in the Jewish culture, wasn't it? That was an it? extreme big deal. In, in those days, the marriage process began a year before the marriage celebration with something called a betrothal. 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 I'm glad you had to say that and I didn't have to say that. It's kind of like being engaged, but for a really long time, right? And it's far more binding. Exactly. In fact, one of the best examples of what it meant is found in the story of Mary and Joseph. The angel visits Mary while she's engaged to Joseph and tells her what she's about to experience. But Mike, Joseph isn't buying this, quote, conceived by the Holy Spirit business. No, not at all. That would be hard for any of us probably to believe. In fact, that's what it's talked about um, in, in the Gospel of Matthew. What it says is this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant, be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Mm. In our culture, you break off an engagement. You don't get divorced. But that's how serious they took marriage in the first century. And their wedding ceremonies. There, there would be festivities and processions, and they would involve the entire community. And Mike, how did they view hospitality in those days? Man, it was a sacred duty. If you were hosting a wedding reception, the last thing you'd want to do is run out of wine. Yeah, that would be a social disaster. And an insult to your guests. But, but you know, that's what happened. Jesus, his mother Mary, and a few of his friends, they've been invited to a wedding celebration, and the party runs out of wine. And Ken, the story is told in John 2, and it's actually Mary who first notices and that there was no more wine. This is great. Jesus' mother is the one that notices there's no wine. <laughs> yeah, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And that's exactly what she says to Jesus. She says, they have no more wine But Jesus doesn't want to get involved. And Mike, why is that? Well, here's what he says. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now that sounds a bit snarky. I tried to make it sound a bit snarky too, especially coming from Jesus. Hmm. Well, without hearing his actual voice, it's hard to tell if Jesus is annoyed, irritated, or simply responding to his mother. But what we do know in ancient cultures, using the term woman 
wasn't a put down. It was actually a way of showing respect. So maybe, um, but I don't think it would be safe to say to my wife, woman, why do you involve me? I, that might be, that, that's probably not a good idea. Yeah, that's thing. not a good idea. I, I, I don't, men, we don't recommend <laughs> no. that. But, but Jesus, his reason for not getting involved, he says it's because his hour has not yet come. Mike, what in the world does that mean? Jesus will use this phrase quite often in the Gospel of John. He'll either say my hour or my time, and when he does, it's usually referring to his upcoming crucifixion. In other words, he's telling his mom, you're asking me to get ahead of schedule. Yep, the train leaves the station, and there's no, when the train leaves the station, there's no going back. Mm. But no matter how old you are, it's hard to tell your mom no. Even Jesus found that out. Now, to be fair, she was the mother of Jesus, and he <laughs> fair, should probably... Fair enough. You know, but, but here's how the story goes. Mary points out the lack of wine. Jesus says, don't get me involved. And then Mary turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. She doesn't even directly respond to Jesus. And we're going to find out what happens and why this story matters when we return. Everyone loves a good typo. I once saw a sign for an auto dealer that said, why buy used cars? But buy was spelled B-Y-E instead of B-U-Y. What would you say is the biggest typo in church history? That award would go to the publishing company that published a version of the Bible in 1631, and I love this, that left out one word out of the sixth commandment. Instead of saying, thou shalt not commit adultery, it read, thou shalt commit adultery. No small typo, only nine of these Bibles, known as the Sinner's Bibles, exist today. I grew up in a church tradition that put a lot of emphasis on doing things the right way. Worshiping the right way, praying the right way. If you wanted to serve communion, Mike, you even had to dress the right way. What does that mean? Well, it meant that A, you had to be a guy, and B, you had to be wearing a tie. Well, I'm glad that they were concerned that you were dressed, mm, and well. it sounds like no girls and, and with ties? Yeah, no girls with ties, and no guys dressed as girls but wearing a tie. Wow, this is, <laughs> I'm confused. Anyways, however misguided it may seem, there's something admirable about wanting to do things the right way. I mean, it, it would be much better to do things the right way rather than the wrong way, right? Well, I'd rather do things the right way than the wrong way too. But, but here's the catch. If we're not careful, we might put more emphasis on our outward appearance than our inner transformation. And doing things, Mike, the right way doesn't automatically make us the right kind of people. This is a part of the first miracle story that is so often overlooked, isn't mm. it? Well, tell us more about that. Yeah, I will. So Mary tells the servants to do whatever he tells them to do. Jesus decides to get involved. He's going to turn water into wine, but where will he put the wine? That's something John tells us about that gets overlooked. Mm. Yes, it does. In fact, verse 6 says, Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's it. That's what gets overlooked. Jesus takes what had been used for ceremonial purposes and repurposes them. He fills them with wine. Which also means they can't be used for the ceremonial washing of hands. 
Jesus used the jars of religion to show that religion alone isn't enough. Now, this group wasn't on the tooth and nail record label, but wasn't there a band, Jars of Religion? Jars of Clay? No, yeah, Jars of Clay. Jars that's of clay? it. That's it. Jars of Clay Religion. And we could start a whole new group, but um, anyways, we digress. Um, one more thing. It is interesting to know about these jars is that there was six jars and not seven. Why is that so interesting? Because in the Bible, the number of seven represents completeness. Six would indicate that something was incomplete. Or inadequate. As in, the ceremonial rituals of the Old Covenant were inadequate in their ability to transform a person's heart. Exactly. This story is about so much more than Jesus turning water into wine. It's about the kind of life we find in him. For over 65 years, Compassion International has been serving children in Jesus' name. With over 8,000 church partners around the world, Compassion is currently sponsoring nearly 2 million children each year. But what exactly does sponsoring a child mean? For a child living in poverty, it means an opportunity to attend or stay in school. It also means having access to medical care and healthy food. Compassion partners with local churches to provide safe environments for learning and mentoring. And finally, most importantly, every child sponsored through Compassion has the opportunity to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. To learn more about Compassion, visit Compassion.com. To learn more, visit Compassion.com. One of the things I love about this first miracle is how ordinary it is. It happens at a wedding. Weddings are ordinary. Wedding receptions are ordinary. The wedding reception runs out of alcohol. That's ordinary too, except at my wedding. Didn't have any alcohol. I don't think I did either. Nope, no alcohol at my wedding reception. But the story also reminds us of a mistake many Christians make. What is that? We often overlook Jesus in the ordinary parts of our lives. Some of our listeners might be familiar with Romans 12.1. The New International Version translates it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But the message version, which by Eugene Peterson, which I enjoy, and I think you enjoy as well, Mm -hmm. Ken, puts it this way. So here is what I want to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I like that. You're, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, your ordinary life. And here's the really cool thing. God wants to be a part of your ordinary life. But Ken, how can we make God a part of our ordinary lives? Great question. I would say start by recognizing his presence. He's already there. He's already with you all the time. He doesn't just show up for the Super Bowl events of life. He's there for the practices. This is so important to remember. And Ken, I'm going to share a quick little thing here. It's, it's important because when my son got baptized, we were out doing ordinary th- things like groceries and shopping. And we had to go to this lake local nearby and, and do a baptism for somebody else. And in the ordinary activities of an ordinary day, my son said, Dad, I want to get baptized. And we had been talking about that. Mm-hmm. And so 
it became an ordinary part of all of the things we were doing, but it was an extraordinary event. And I just, as we're sitting here talking about this, that came to mind. And I, I want to share that those big moments can also be packed in with all the ordinary activities like going to get groceries. No, that's groceries. right. That's right. So is there anything else um, that we need to know here as well? Well, there's one more thing I might add, and that is be faithful in the little things. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, what I hear Paul saying is that every interaction is an opportunity to represent God well. And whatever you do, do it for Jesus is what we're saying right there. That's right. Each week, we are going to answer one or two of your questions or respond to one of your comments. You can send your questions and comments to podcast at mtnvw.org. That's podcast at mtnvw.org. And we'll do our best to give you an answer. If we don't know the answer, we will plow through searching the internet until we find one for you. We'll go through the bowels of the internet. (laughs) Our, Our question, Mike, this week has to do with the name of our podcast, Uh, One of our listeners asked, why did you guys decide to call your podcast Jesus Changes People? Well, the short answer, Ken, is he really does. Well, I feel like we ought to say more. Well, no, no, he really does. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, we chose the title because we really do believe that following Jesus changes people. That's the whole idea behind becoming his apprentice. We begin learning from him what it means to be like him. I like that. Learning from Jesus what it means to be like Jesus. Following Jesus is a process that begins with an event. The event is a moment we decide to place our faith and trust in him. The process is everything after that. We are saved in the moment, but sanctified over time. Sanctification. What a great word. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed into the image of Jesus. That's what sanctification is all about. Jesus changes people. Coming up on the next episode of Jesus Changes People, we'll be entering the den of thieves. Well, not quite. But that is how Jesus described the temple courts after overturning the table of the money changers. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the same story. But only John tells us that Jesus made a whip of cords. Now, to be honest, that's not your typical oil painting of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Jesus Changes People, a podcast that seeks to uncover the real Jesus and what it means to be a modern-day follower of him. Our goal is to help you know Jesus better and to become more like him. If you would like to connect with us, you may do so by leaving comments or questions wherever you listen to this podcast. Help us spread the message by leaving us a review. And if you'd like to communicate by email, you may send us a message at podcast at mtnvw.org. That is podcast at mtnvw.org. Thanks again and have a great week. When we return, we're going to look at every miracle Jesus ever performed. We're going to... (laughs) (laughs) That 
that's, that's going to be a lot of miracles. When we return, we're going to look at every miracle. Je- Did I do it again? <laughs> when we return, we're not going to look at every seat. <laughs> wow. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> that even happened in the time of Jesus, didn't it? It did. In fact, the site of his first miracle will be at a wedding. What went wrong? Was the, uh, what was the, <laughs> you probably would be, but it, it wouldn't entirely be your fault. No, now, that's it? good to know. <laughs> I totally messed that up. <laughs> hmm. Well, Mike, you know, tell us more about that. Absolutely. Well, after Mary tells the servant, do whatever he tells you, Jesus decides to get involved. He's going to turn water into wine, but where will he put the wine? <laughs> He'll put it somewhere special. Where will he put the wine? That's it. That's what gets overlooked. Jesus takes, that wasn't supposed to be a question. (laughs) But that is how Jesus described the temple courts after overturning the table of the man, of the money, of that. Put music here. 